Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Sister Jocelyn. <clears throat> On April the 6th, 2015, the police in Prince Anne, Maryland, received a call from a concerned employer. Rodney Todd Sr., the father of seven children, had not shown up for work for several days. In response to the call, the police completed a wellness check. When they arrived at Rodney's house, everything seemed normal. Uh, there was no evidence of a break-in or foul play. After knocking on the door several times and not getting a response, the police decided to uh, forcibly enter uh, the one-level or the one-storied home. Once they entered Rodney's house, uh, where his seven children and he resided, five girls, two sons, ranging from the ages of three to 16, they found them lying in bed. And nothing seemed amiss, nothing seemed out of the ordinary until the police attempted to awaken Rodney Todd Jr. and his children, and none of them responded. To the shock and horror of the officers in the home, they discovered that Rodney and his seven children were all dead. The cause of their death was not obvious or easy to determine. Although these were experienced police officers, they knew that something unusual had occurred to take the lives of these seven children and their father. This was one of those cases that would require an extensive investigation. After some time when uh, the investigation was completed, it was determined that Rodney Todd, who worked uh, laboriously to take care of his seven children, worked hard. He only earned $10 an hour. And because of the responsibility of so many children, he was unable to pay the electric bill. The electric bill, the electric services were cut off during the winter months. And so he decided to purchase a generator. And he mistakenly thought that the most important thing was to keep his children warm when it was much deeper than that. You don't run a generator inside of a house. Much deeper than just meeting the physical needs of his children. And so during the night as they slept in warmth, their lives were slowly and invisibly taken from them from carbon monoxide poisoning. What Rodney Todd Sr. thought was helping his family was, in fact, the instrument that killed all of them. Sometimes the problems of life are deeper than what we think. Sometimes we only see and deal with the surface things of life. We, we look good on the outside. We know how to hide things. We tend to focus on what we consider will get us accepted, fit in. 
we will often ignore what is most important. And as we are ignoring those things that are on the inside, uh, those very things that Christ said, if any man be in me, you become a brand new creation. That means from the inside out, you become new. The Lord makes us, he transforms us. We, he metamorphosizes us. He makes us a brand new creation. But what he has already worked in, the Bible says, work out your own soul's salvation and fear and trembling. So the things that the Lord has already worked in, we must work out. But as we are working them out, there's a conflict on the inside because the Bible says that the flesh and the spirit, to walk in the spirit so that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the flesh and the spirit are contrary, are at enmity, at war one with another. And so while the spirit of God is living in us, there's another spirit called the old man, the Adamic nature, the fallen nature that wrestles against the purposes of God in our life. And more often, because of the, 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 the need to grow in the Lord, we tend to focus on the things that are more in tune with the flesh's desires than the spirit. The Lord wants to change you and I from the inside out. The prophet heard the Lord say, and we repeat this passage all the time, man looks at the outward appearance, but God weighs the heart. Paul says, every man's work shall be tried according to what sort they is, whether wood, stubble, or hay, precious stone, silver, or gold. Our works are going to be tried, not because they don't look good. They're wrapped perfectly under the tree on display for all to see. But the Lord is concerned not by what we do, but why? 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 We look and sound good, but beneath the surface... Where our real brokenness is, we remain unchanged and unhealed. Tell somebody it's deeper than that. It's deeper than just putting a generator in the house. You can kill everybody. It's deeper than just walking in the church, read your Bible, and singing along with the choir or the prayer. It's deeper than that. To the most familiar accounts in the gospel, are the story of two separate miracles performed by Jesus. The daughter of a ruler of the synagogue named Jairus and the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She was, she hemorrhaged, unable to form clotting for 12 years. Those two stories are recorded in all three of the four gospels, which is significant because whenever the Lord repeats something, it's not because he is at a loss of words or he's senile. But he is shining and flashing the red light for our attention. He wants us to learn. Now, while this woman who had the issue of blood and this man whose daughter was in critical condition on life supports, on the verge of dying, externally, the woman who had the issue of blood, you would not know what was going on beneath or behind the scene. This was a private matter that had attacked her body. And the same is true of the little girl that was dying. It was a medical issue. And in both cases, 
These were issues that were not just superficial. This wasn't not take a couple Tylenol and you'll be okay. Drink some orange juice and have some eggs and bacon. No, 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 that wasn't one of these things. But in both of these instances, not only were these beneath the surface issues not clear or visible to the natural eye except through medical professions and so forth that these women and this child had been diagnosed, both this woman and Jairus had exhausted all of the human resources that were available to them. In this case, they, uh, the woman who had the issue of blood, she went to every doctor who ultimately bankrupted her, probably tried all kinds of trial medications, and, and Jairus, who was a ruler in the synagogue, who had resources with all of his money, nothing could pay to correct what was going on in his daughter's life. I want you to know when we have issues on the inside, and we all do, we seek out human resources to help us stop hurting, to help us to come out and, and not pretend that we've got it all together. But once you've done everything you know to do to try to not only uh, be what you're supposed to be, but to actually get healing, what we find is what these two separate accounts reveal to us. The only person that can really heal us is Jesus. Somebody say amen. Because it's, it's deeper, it's deeper, it's deeper. I want you to understand, when you come to church, you, you're coming against spiritual wickedness in, in high places, against principalities, against the prince of the power of the air. It's deeper than just getting out of your bed. It's deeper than just fulfilling your assignment. It's deeper than that. Sometimes we can read a passage of Scripture very cursory and very superficially, but when you begin to unpack what God is really saying, you discover it's deeper. Jesus wants to fix what's on the inside of you and me. Oh, how dangerous you would become if you were healed, if you were really whole. How powerful you can be and become if you ever were loose from your grave clothes, if you ever came out of your tomb, if you ever allow the Lord to do his work. How dangerous in the hand of God would you be? His method of ministry reveals that Jesus is concerned about the inward causes rather than your outward symptoms. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, as we, we turn our attention to the passage, and I, I, I would encourage you in your own private time to read verses 21 through uh, the end of the chapter. In fact, all of this passage that begins with Jesus going to the city of Gennesaret, and he is met and greeted after he gets off with a boat by uh, a man who had a legion of demons. And uh, we read that story, and we see that Christ has power over demonic spirits. Christ has power over demonic spirits. In chapter 4, we discover that Jesus, uh, as he slept in the, in the hull of the ship, and his disciples feverishly tried to keep the ship from sinking, although Christ had already said, we will make it to the other side. We will make it to the other side. He simply wiped the sleep from his eyes, and Jesus stood on the on the side of the ship and simply spoke to the wind and the waves and the lightning and thunder. And he says, peace be still. And the waves and the wind all obeyed. And the disciples said, what manner? What kind of dude is this? 
And so Jesus not only has power over demonic spirits and over all of nature, we're going to see that Jesus has power over death and disease. He's God in human form. The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And this word, this word, who is Jesus, took on human form. And the scripture tells us in John chapter 20, verse 31, that these things were done, these signs of miracles were done, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you might be impressed, that you might join him in, no, no, that you might believe and be saved is deeper than a miracle. It's deeper than getting your belly full. Somebody say amen. Now, what we discover in verses 21 through 24, it says, Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great, say great, a great multitude gathered to him. And here's the principle that I want to share with you, is that what motivated Jesus to minister was deeper than the size of the crowd. I remind myself that on Sundays, when we don't have standing room only. It's deeper than the size of the crowd. Don't measure the effectiveness of a ministry by the size of the crowd. Uh, large crowds make great thrill seekers, but horrible disciples. Jesus, the, what motivated Jesus to minister was deeper than the size of the crowd. We're told that he was greeted. He gets off of the boat, and a multitude, maybe thousands, surround him. The crowd is pressing up against Jesus, and there's so many of them that he can barely walk. And if, like many of us, we would have taken time to sign a few uh, autographs and taken some snapshots and put it on our Instagram, our Twitter feed, let everybody know, look how I'm packing. Look at the crowd. Look at the crowd. But Jesus left the crowd to help one person. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at Jesus' feet and he begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be, what? Come on, church. Be what? He Come on. Be healed, and she will live. Jesus said, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Can you see this crowd? Can you see the offering I'm about to collect here? Can you understand the popularity that if I just do a couple? No, the Bible says, so Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him, and thronged him. They pressed him. They weren't going to let Jesus out of their sight, but we're going to discover that you can be in a crowded room just like we are right now, and some people will, will leave here as most of the people in that crowd. They were amazed, but they weren't delivered. I want you to understand, if, if you get the, 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 the understand that it's deeper than just coming in and being in a gathering, but Jesus is looking out for individuals who really want something from him. And I declare, if your heart is right, 
oh, he will stop by and he'll meet your need. This is not just one of those off-the-cuff examples in the Bible, Jesus with the multitude, but this is his pattern. Remember the boy who had the two two fish and five loaves of bread in in, in John chapter 6, and there were 5,000 hungry men, and not including their children and wives. And Jesus said to his mature disciples, the people were hungry, and, Deacon, and, and Philip, one of the uh, uh, disciples, the one of the 12, came and said, well, Jesus, ain't no Burger King and uh, Chick-fil-A out here. And Jesus said, have the people be seated. And then the young man, who had lunch for himself, out of the thousand, one person said, Lord, I don't have much, but here's what I have. Use it as you choose. And to this day, we read about the one man. We're not reading about the, the, the thousands because later on when Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, unless you accept my suffering and my death and me as the one who is atoning for your sins, you're not worthy. And they say, oh, that sounds like a little commitment to me. Sounds like I got to do something. Well, if I got to do something, we might as well go back to our own church. Remember the man, he wasn't even called by his real name. He was called Blind Bartimaeus. How do you like to be called Blind or whatever? I used to be called Black Howard. Black Howard. That That wasn't a term of endearment. Black Howard. But guess what? I felt like, heck yeah, I'm Black Howard. (laughs) You always want to give somebody a nickname. The Bible says when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was coming by, he stopped begging for food. And he got a little indignant. He, he, he wasn't like some of us. We come to church, we you know, got your hair done. You got your pair of new shoes. and You got your new earrings. And you, you, we, we got to be calm. We don't want to be breaking no sweat. And, but Bartimaeus was blind. And the Bible says that he began to shout, Jesus, thy son of David. Jesus, thy son of David. And and, and some of the disciples rebuked him. Shut up. We in church. Don't be acting a fool. Don't be acting like you don't have no home training. Get quiet up in here. And the Bible says the more they insisted that he be quiet, the more indignant he became. Sometimes you need to get indignant. Sometimes you need to get Jesus' attention. The Bible says when Christ heard him, he stopped. Jesus is here today, but did he hear you? Have you worshipped him in such a way that he would stop? Not only did Jesus stop, Jesus, with the crowd surrounding him, he called blind Bartimaeus to come to him. Jesus is not motivated by the size of the crowd. It's deeper than that. A woman that the religious leaders disdained so much that they gave her the name sinner. 
They didn't even call her by her name or acknowledge that she was a woman. She was a prostitute. The Bible says that she came into a, a, a house with an all-males-only party, was crowded. Religious leaders invited Jesus there to test him. She came to worship. What did you come to church to do? She took out her hair, and she began to wash the feet of Christ and cry profusely and wipe his feet with her hair. The religious leader said, if Jesus was really Messiah, he would know what kind of woman this is. She's a sinner. She's a personified, whatever sin is. That's what this is. She's a this. And Jesus said, ever since she, he, he, he didn't identify her based on what she had done. He, based, he identified based on who she is in the Lord. This woman, this woman, I don't know what her lifestyle, but this woman, because she has been forgiven much, she serves much. Some of us don't think our sin was that bad. Some of us may think that just coming to church, God is impressed. It's it, it deeper than that. You can come to church and be marked absent by the Lord. Well, they, I wish my husband was here to get this. No, no, no. It's deeper than your husband getting this. A wealthy tax collector named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he was vertically challenged like some people. You know, he wasn't tall. But he heard that Jesus was in town. And there was a crowd gathering. And so Zacchaeus determined to see Jesus. He ran ahead of the crowd, and, and he didn't get in an escalator. He, he, he didn't get in his limo. It ain't happened back then, but whatever. He climbed up a, a sycamore fig tree. I can see him with his Rolex on and his jewelry. The Bible said he was a chief tax collector and he was, he was rich. He didn't care. He just wanted to see Jesus. And the Bible says when Jesus came by that fig tree, he turned away from the crowd to the one individual in the tree. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm eating at your house today. Aren't you glad that you're not just a number in the crowd? Aren't you glad that if you just really want to see Jesus, if you really want him to meet your need? I'm not talking about making you look impressive to others, because it's deeper. I'm talking about your insecurities, your fears, those hurts, those disappointments. Those dreams that have been broken, those people that have left, I'm talking about real needs. He knows. He knows. A man that was a, pa a paraplegic, he was paralyzed from the neck down. Oh, this is so powerful. When you get a chance, oh, this, is so, this passage of Scripture is in Luke chapter 5. House was crowded. Jesus was teaching and preaching. And they were listening, but it was, there was no room. It's packed. The fire marshal would have probably fined Jesus if, if, if there was that kind of thing in place during that time. It was no room. 
poor friends had a, this paraplegic friend who needed Jesus. And they got there, and they were there late. Sometimes somebody said, it's better late. You just need to get here sometime. You maybe get here. So when they arrive, there's nowhere to sit. You know how the saints are. I don't care if somebody's wheelchair bound or whatever. Uh, you ain't getting my seat. <laughs> so these, these brothers say, you know what? We ain't leaving here without seeing Jesus. So they climb on top of the roof. And they begin to tear the roof, tear somebody's roof off, apart. And they pull, they make a hole in the roof. And then guess what they do with the crowd just there? I could just see them, the dust dropping, and, and they say, what the world? And they lower this man in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus stopped everything for that one man. Everything for that one man. I want you to know that the Lord is concerned about individuals. Aren't you glad about that? But he, the verse, when you get a chance in verse 17, it says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. That verse says, the power of the Lord is present to heal you. Because Christ is not motivated by the size of the crowd. He's interested in hearts, individuals that are willing to do whatever it takes. Do you believe that the power of the Lord is here to heal you? Ponder that. The power, whatever you are going through, whatever has hurt you, whatever your need is, the power of the dudamas of the Lord is here. To heal, oh my God, somebody ought to shout over that, to heal you, to so anybody need some help today, anybody need some, the power of the Lord is here today to heal you. Jesus, who had the power to heal, responded to individuals in the crowd who had four Distinct characteristics. Here's the kind of person that Jesus will respond to that's here today. He responds to those who desire to be healed. The woman who had the issue of blood, she wanted to be healed. Blind Bartimaeus. He said, Gee, when he finally got an audience with Jesus, what would you like for me to do? He said, that you might give me sight. Do you really desire to be healed? The Bible says, I'll give you, if you commit your way to me, I will give you the desire of your heart. Now, here's what we understand. He says, if my word abides in you, my, and my, and, and, and if my word abides in you and you abide in me, then I'll give you whatever you will, whatever you desire. But then go over 1 Corinthians, 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, and this is our confidence that whatever we ask him, if we're really abiding in him and his words abide in we are confident that if we ask anything according to his. How much scripture is inspired by God? Okay, so that's a part of it. Are you with me? Here's another characteristic. Determination to go where Jesus is was, a, was another requirement that we see. This means that you will do whatever it takes to get in the presence of the Lord. Sometimes we give the... Uh, we give the Lord a hand praise, a wave. 
Well, we need to get like Jacob. Uh, we need to get in the presence, whatever it takes, however long it takes. How much money, how much money you got to pay? You just want to get in his presence. Are you determined in that way? Then there was a desperation. Jairus was desperate. He said, Lord, he fell on his, he was desperate. He didn't care what anybody thought. He fell. This was a ruler of the synagogue. He fell on his face before Jesus, and he said, please, kill my daughter. Are you humble enough to be that desperate? Don't worry about it. The woman who had the issue of blood, the Bible says she came from behind. <laughs> Sometime to get what you need, you may not be at the front of the line. You may not have any titles. You may not have any significance in the mind of others and even in your own. But if you come from behind, she understood that if I can just touch the hem of his garment. You have to have some desperation. We're still trying to make a deal with the Lord. We're still trying to figure this out. You've been struggling with this nonsense for 25 years. You ain't going to figure it out. You ain't going to work it out. There's strongholds in your life that the Lord wants to deliver you from. But are you desperate enough to allow him to have his way? And here's the third thing that was, that's important, the kind of people that Jesus would stop and give attention to. This was divine expectation. Say divine expectation. They believed that if they could just get to Jesus, he would give them what they needed. Some of us have stopped praying about things in our life because we, we really don't believe. And some of us say we do believe, but your actions, the words you say, the death that you speak over your situation, the doubt that you have says, that's not faith. You are an unbelieving believer. You have grasshopper syndrome. You're not looking at the size of your God. You're looking at the size of your circumstances. But I hear David say, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from where, from whence cometh my, where does your help come from? Where, I don't, I don't hear you. Some of you too proud. Some of you too comfortable. My help. I can't speak for you, but my help. It don't matter what you, my help comes from the Lord. He made the heavens and the earth. My help is deeper. Christ is more concerned about ministering than the side of the crowd. Here's the second thing. When Jesus blesses others while allowing your situation to get worse, remember, it's deeper than that. Jesus is following Jairus to his little daughter's home. She's dying. It's a matter of minutes and hours. Her need was urgent. But the Bible says, Somebody touched Christ as he was making his way to Jairus' house. Christ stops the ambulance. <laughs> he stopped going to Jairus' situation, and he, he asked this question, who touched me? 
The question is, well, wait a minute. Is this issue of blood more important than somebody that's on the verge of death? Is her issue more important than mine? I've been praying for 12 years. I've been praying all my life for my family to come together. I've been praying all my life for a generational curse to come off of my family. And you mean she just got saved? And she already has a job? And her marriage is reconciled? And that joke I live with still acts like Beelzebub? When Jesus blesses others while allowing your situation to get worse, remember, it's deeper than that. Sometimes the Lord delays your healing, your deliverance, because of discipline. The Bible says in James chapter 5, he says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Sometimes we're sick because of sin. And so the Lord keeps on walking. He says, I am not weak that my arms are unable to deliver you and my ears can't hear you, but your sins have closed my eyes and caused me not to hear you. But come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So our sin, discipline, sometimes God will go to the next person because he's developing us. You're not ready. But James says, count it all joy when you experience diverse testing for the testing of your faith. Work with patience, but let patience have what? It's perfect work that you may be lacking. And so the Lord may delay your blessing and the deliverance in the crowd because you're de- he's developing it. Moses took 40 years before God sent him back. Nehemiah was, 40, Nehemiah was four months before he got to stand before the king. God is waiting for some of us to be obedient. Sometimes the Lord delays his answer for us because he's trying to teach us dependence. Paul said, I prayed three times that the Lord would remove this thorn in my flesh. And he didn't say no. He just simply, he he didn't remove it. But he says, I want you to understand. I want you to depend on me. I don't want you to be caught up in pride because I let you see heaven. I want you to understand that my grace is sufficient and my strength is perfected when you're weakest. And so the Lord sometimes is teaching us to depend on him. Some of us are so gifted and articulate and we done saved and we done set up, got all our nest day. We can become so we can get caught up and forget that the Lord could take blow it away. So he wants to teach him. Here's, an, here's another reason why God may delay the demonstration of his divine power. In John chapter nine, Jesus comes and there's a man who was born blind. And he says, oh, oh, what sin did his parents commit? What, what iniquity, what horrible perversion. And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but that the work of God. Sometimes God is waiting until the ninth inning, two outs, bases loaded, down three run. He wants to come through and hit that grand slam so he gets greater glory through the demonstration of his power. So you don't have to worry what God has for you. 
is for you. But while he's blessing me, the Bible says, don't hate on me. Rejoice. What does it say? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Oh, man, that was kind of weak. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Let me, let me finish with this. Why is it important to understand the work that Jesus does is deeper than surface solutions? I had a long talk with my son, and some of you have been praying for me about one of my sons, and he calls and then he disappears. I talk to him. Things were just going so well. And then something happened. He started talking. This conversation went on for two and a half hours. I walked away from the phone, came back to the phone. I talked to somebody else while he's, he, my son never knew <laughs> that I wasn't on the phone. And I wasn't trying to be rude. But something, something. So this is... What the things that we need to understand are deeper than what we can see on the surface. And so now I'm saying, Lord, give me discernment. I've not seen this before. All the years of counseling, all the years of working with people, something's different about this. And so we need to understand that what the Lord is trying to do in our lives is more than help us to pick out our mascara. It's, it's soul stuff. Now watch this. The physical healing alone did not eliminate the woman who had the issue of blood's deepest need. The Bible says when she touched, came from behind Jesus and touched the hem of his garment, she was instantly, immediately healed. But guess what she did? She hid. She was afraid. She was still filled with shame. The physical need, the surface need was met. But she still had a terrible self-image. She still struggled with insecurity. If I get married, I'm going to be so much better about myself. And if I can just get that job, you get the job, you get married, you lose the weight, and you still see Michael Jackson when you look in the mirror. Your need is deeper. And so when Jesus said, who touched me? This wasn't about, uh, because he said, when you touch Jesus with faith, virtue always leads. That's what ministry is. When you're ministering to people, virtue will leave. That's why when you pray for me, that whatever I gave out, I get it back. Virtue is leaving right now. But when she was able to say it was me, I'm the one with the issue. I'm the one who struggled with unforgiveness. I'm the one who's still angry. I'm the one who feels rejected. I'm the one who is hurting. And Jesus says, your faith not only healed you, but now here's the second piece, the deeper piece. You're whole. You're whole. That is, it's deeper than you think. You need to be whole. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You need to be whole. 
Jesus said, I'm, I'm making your spirit right. I'm making how you think right. I'm making your relationship with God what it ought to be. You saved now. Your test becomes your testimony. We're still reading about the woman with the issue of blood in all three Gospels, and Jairus and his daughter in all three Gospels. That, what, his test was when Jesus stopped the ambulance to help somebody else. I could just say, wait a minute, Jesus, don't you understand? My daughter's dying. I fell on my face. You were following me. I gave my offering. I'm a member of the church. They ain't no church member, and they have crazy when they do come to church. You hear no protests from Jairus. He simply waited on Jesus because he understood that what is an obstacle to us is an opportunity for Jesus. And so your test, whatever the Lord is taking you through right now, don't get mad. Trouble your troubles because your test becomes your testimony. Look what the Lord, he stopped and healed somebody. My daughter actually died, and, and, and there was nothing else that could be done, but he kept on coming, and even though he didn't work according to my time, God can be four days late and still be on time. Your intimacy is deepened with the Lord. It's, see, it's deeper than your superficial healing. See, when you go through these, when the word really does its work, your intimacy is deep, and you love the Lord even more for yourself. The Bible says, when Jesus got to Jairus' house, there was a crowd, but he only selected Peter, James, and John, the mother and the father. They were the only ones who went in. They had a more intimate relationship with Christ. I want you to understand there's some things and places that the Lord would like for you to go with him to heal. But because of the intimacy issue, because you've not developed that love for him and prioritizing him in your life, you would be in the crowd standing outside of the room. But when your intimacy is right, you get to be with Peter, James, and John. And watch the Lord... Resurrect dead marriages, resurrect drug-addicted children, deliver people who have no hope, and you get to be a part of that when your intimacy is right. Here's one last thing. Your power and authority will be released without limit. The next chapter over, the Bible says before Christ sends them out, two by two, he gives them authority over demons and sickness. He gives them power over the physical and the spirit realm, and then he sent them. And the Bible says when they came back, what they said is that even the demons are subject to us. When you understand that what the Lord is doing in your life is deeper than check and, 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 and filling in blanks. 
He will release his power without limit, and even demons will tremble when you declare the name of Jesus. You'll be able to pray for people who are sick, and the doctor says they're not going to get well, and they'll get healed. You will have spiritual authority that when you speak, your voice will be the voice of God in people's lives. That's what the devil doesn't want. He wants us to be so self-centered, so carnal, so distracted, so focused on the temporal things, the surface things, that we never get to a place where the power of the Lord is released without limit. That when you're praying, you may be the musician, but if you're praying for somebody, you expect God to, through your laying on of hands in faith, that virtue will lead you and something will happen in Jesus' name. That's the kind of church I want. That's the kind of officers I want. People with authority, <laughs> people that can pray down stuff, people that can break yokes, people that can loose and bind in agreement with what God has already loosed and bound. Tell somebody it's deeper than that. It's deeper. Now, I share this with you. Stand with me. A man had a dream. And in his dream, the Lord told him, he said, when you awake, there will be a, a stone in front of your house. And he said, I want you in, at the break of dawn every day for eight straight hours. I want you to push this stone. And the man, being obedient to the Lord, he snapped right to it. Next day for eight straight hours, he pushed the stone. He pushed the stone. He pushed the stone. But as he's pushing the stone, he notices across the street his neighbor is also pushing stones. And the stone is not only being pushed, but he's pushed ten stones, and they've moved. But his stone that he's pushing didn't move anywhere. And he had another dream, and Satan said, why would God give you such a meaningless task? By now, you ought to be an elder in the church. You ought to be a deacon in the church. You ought to be a bishop or an apostle. And so he got discouraged. And so he stopped pushing the stone. And then the Lord appeared to him again. And the Lord said, why did you stop doing the assignment I gave you? He said, well, when I looked across the street and I saw my neighbor pushing 10 stones and, and the stone I'm pushing ain't moved, he said, I got discouraged and I quit. And the Lord said, did I tell you to move the stone? I just told you to push it. And he said, now, fill your shoulders. Fill your legs and your hands and your arms. What I was developing you, because you see, it's deeper than moving a bunch of stones. It's deeper than keeping up with your neighbor. It's deeper than titles. It's deeper than what people say about you. It's about doing my assignment because now you have strength that you would have not otherwise had. It's deeper. Don't let the devil trick you. The devil is a liar. He who began a good work in you. The Bible says he will complete it until the day 
of Christ. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you.